So Money episode 1303, Joe Saul Cihai, host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast and author of the new book, Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. 150 million people, it's in this this report by nonfiction, this wonderful group, nonprofit group, um, that talks about how 150 million people report that they've cried about their money. 150 million of us in the United States. And you'd think that's mostly people living paycheck to paycheck, but the, their study showed that it's not. While more people living paycheck to paycheck are not sure where they're going to put food on the table cry, there was a huge percentage of people who make over $250,000 a year who are crying. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. It's Monday, January 10th. I got a long week ahead, let me tell you. We got an urgent email, text, phone call, all of it on Saturday morning, letting us know that our daughter's preschool classroom had been exposed to COVID. Somebody in the classroom uh, tested positive. Last time she was in the classroom was Thursday, and she was only in school on Wednesday and Thursday. Nevertheless, uh, we now have to isolate her for the next seven to 10 days. She has to get a PCR test before she can go back to school. She's unvaccinated. She's only four. So we're headed for a, you know, a busy week. As many of you know what that's like, you know, working, parenting. We don't have symptoms, so that's good, but we'll, we'll be testing. And these tests are so expensive. Every time I have tested in the last you know, four weeks, which has been at least a couple of times for me, I feel like I'm throwing money in the trash. Uh, because every time I take the test, I'm asymptomatic. And I'm like, this is going to be negative. I know it, but I'm just going to do it so that we're all sure. And then I, I feel bad because th- these are scarce tests. You, you you treat each one like like gold. That's like Bitcoin. Very excited to bring our guest on today. He's a, he's a guest that is always welcome on the show. He's a fellow podcaster, fellow financial nerd, and fellow author now. He is Joe Saul Cihai. He, as you know, is the host of the Stacking Benjamins podcast, which is older than this show. He's also the author now, co-author with Emily Guy Birkin of the book Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. What I like about this book is that while it has all of the essentials, you know, how to establish a financial plan, how to get out of debt, how to save, how to invest, how to find a financial advisor, it's lighthearted. It's got humor. I just, you know, Joe, he's a, he's a funny guy. Joe worked as a financial advisor for 16 years before going to financial media and creating Stacking Benjamins, which, by the way, is one of the most listened to podcasts in the personal finance sphere. Kiblinger has called the show the best personal finance podcast, and Fast Company described it as striking a great balance between fun and functional, and that is what you will find in his new book, Stacked. We talk about his different take on financial planning, like how to actually make a plan that can stick, and this is helpful to all of us at the top of the year. We're trying to figure out our finances, figure out how to achieve our goals and lots, lots more. Without further ado, here's Joe Saul Cihai. Joe Saul Cihai, welcome back to So Money and Happy New Year. This is airing in 2022. Can you believe it? We're in the future already. I can't believe that. You know, uh, my co-host OG and I, who you know, we were talking the other day about, remember when you used to write checks and 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 you'd get the year wrong all the time? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. And now imagine it's like 25 years from now. And we're like, remember we had to fill in things. We bought stuff on the internet and we had to fill in the year. Remember when he had to figure out the day of the week? I don't even know when that was. I mean, I'm I'm a little further along here, Joe. I mean, to checks are one thing, but just having to tell someone whether it's a Tuesday or a Wednesday on the fly, I am not so convinced I have that skill. I think um, that's the life of a mom right there. Perhaps living yes. in a pandemic. Yeah. The worst part of a mom's Friday is realizing <laughs> it's only Wednesday. <laughs> well, let's talk about your very exciting new project. It's a book that you've co-authored with Emily Guy Birkin. I know you've been working on this so diligently for a while as books take time. The book is called Stacked, Your Super Serious Guide to Modern Money Management. First of all, congratulations. How does it feel to be on the other side of this? The book came out at the end of December. It feels so wild. I, You know how it felt when you got your first book in your hand. When I ran my first marathon, uh, I, I couldn't stop crying and it was, it was nearly the, it, it was the same emotion where, you know, you'd written it, you'd done all this work, you saw the PDFs, the galleys, you saw all the stuff. But then when that box shows up, it, it was, it was truly, truly a wild moment. And, and, and you know what? I mean, really that part's about me. I'll tell you the part that makes me excited is just that, as you know, there's so many great creators out there in the universe that have lent their voices. And people like you and I, we get to interview these people all the time, but there still are people that for who knows what reason aren't getting the message. And to be able to have a little bit different message, I was reading this cool piece that 150 million people, it's in this, this report by nonfiction, this wonderful group, nonprofit group, um, that talks about how 150 million people report that they've cried about their money. 150 million of us in the United States. And you'd think that's mostly people living paycheck to paycheck, but the, their study showed that it's not. While more people living paycheck to paycheck are not sure where they're going to put food on the table cry, there was a huge percentage of people who make over $250,000 a year who are crying. And you and I know that they're not crying about the hot new stuff that everybody's looking for. The money nerds like, what's hot? What's new with money? Like, I, th that stuff drives me crazy. They're not crying because central bank digital currency might become a thing. They're, <laughs> they're not crying because the mega backdoor Roth IRA might go away. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. They're crying because they're not sure where the next dollar is going to come from. And so to be able to help just be another voice, uh, a different voice uh, out there with this project, I think made Emily and I both really excited. Let's talk about the difference, the ingredients that went into differentiating your book from the many that are out there. And you know them well because you've had on the authors on your show and you've probably read many of them, which on the one hand can make this a bit of a challenge knowing that the market is, it's a busy market, but on the other hand, an advantage for you because you have already, you know, what's out there and you know where the voids are. So I know this book has so much humor, your signature humor, your straightforwardness, and really breaking it down for us very simply. What else can you tell us about this book in terms of what we can look forward to and how it can be uh, this sort of fresh approach to thinking and doing money? I think the best way to tell you that story is in the the genesis of the project at first, Farnoosh, because the way this came about was pretty funny. I had written a book over about 12 years and I stopped and started and stopped and started and I got done and I showed it to Cheryl, my spouse, and she's like, yeah, this sucks. 
Like it was, it was so bad Cheryl. and it was so serious. And it just, it was, it was not me. It was trying to be something that I wasn't. And it was funny because I would tell stories in the book. And in some stories, my kids are like 10 and my kids now are 26. So then they're 12, then they're 15, then they're going to college. <laughs> and so I had to smooth all that out and we just threw it away. And I thought I, I had this idea, but I wanted it to be more fun. I wanted it to be lighter. I wanted to, you know, help, as I mentioned earlier, stop the crying. So I, I, I was out in Portland, Oregon, and I was at Powell's Bookstore. Have you been there? Yes. I found oh. my book there, which doesn't happen now, I have to say. It doesn't happen at Barnes & Noble. That so place, that for people that haven't been there, it feels like this is this is Joe's revisionist history, what happened with Powell's. I'm not sure if this is true, but I feel like they had a small bookstore that was one little building on this block where the where the buildings are all attached to each other. The store next to them went out of business, so they bought that business and blew out the wall because it is so weird, as you know. Man. In some areas, the second floor, I think is... It's color-coded. You need a map to walk <laughs> through this store. You totally a GPS, do. preferably, like a lost myself app, you know, yes. like, where am I? Yes, where am I? Just just play the beeps from somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> My, uh, uh, but but I love it. For people like you and I, this is, this is heaven because uh, I can get lost in these stacks of books and I just get all these cool ideas just wandering. So I find myself in the kids section, which does not surprise you. <laughs> and, and, I'm, and I see the Hardy Boys detective manual. And when I was in fourth grade, my brother and I carried this book around everywhere. We had it dog-eared and it was written, by the way, with the help of a real live retired FBI agent. So these were real tips. And so on a muddy day, my dad worked for General Motors and on a muddy day, he would drive out of the driveway. My brother and I would run out. We'd look at the tire tracks, right? So we could analyze all the tire tracks to follow the perpetrator. And then mom would touch a, you know, mom would touch a doorknob and we're over there with the tape and we're taping the doorknob to get the, to get the, the fingerprints off because you're not sure where mom's been. So I saw this book and I bought it because my copy was long, long, long gone because this book so inspired me. And I thought, what if it were a book that adults carried around the way I carried around the Hardy Boys detective manual? Like if there was a book that was just kind of a, here's where you begin, here's the steps along the way and, and let's get it done. So that was the germ flew back home. I was living in Detroit at the time and we flew back home and my mom has a key to our house and she had left. I was 50 years old and she had finally left me all my crap from the attic, right? All, all the stuff in a box. Like before this, you couldn't trust me with the sixth grade father-son bowling trophy or sixth place <laughs> father-son bowling trophy from sixth grade. And one of the arms is broken off, but finally she's going to let me have that. The, the, the little league, uh, you know, pictures me batting. Aww. But the cool thing was in there was the Cub Scout Wolf Guide. And, and people like you and I talk about gamification all the time and about how that's the key to success about game. And, and the Cub Scouts were so good at this. Like they're, every chapter, which is an achievement, not chapter, it's an achievement, was things you're going to need. They succinctly tell you how to do it. And then at the bottom, there's all the things to check, all the boxes to check to show proficiency. And then there's a place, Farnoosh, for your mom to sign that you did it at the bottom so you could get your badge, right? So, so stacked. And by the way, what I, what I told you was exactly when we took this project on tour with different publishers, we told all the different publishers and I get done with this and, and I'm, you know, we're on these zoom calls cause it's the middle of pandemic and I'm saying, okay, so this is the Cub Scout Wolf Guide meets the Hardy Boys Detective Manual, but for adults and about money, what do you think? <laughs> 
And I was sure they were going to laugh me off the call. And luckily, as you know, Penguin Random House, the biggest publisher on earth said, yeah, well, man, we're in. You needed to make sure the audience, though, was like your contemporary, because if it was like a Xennial, they would have been like, is this a TikTok thing? I'm not really sure. <laughs> but you will never here. know. You will never know reading it. You don't have to know who the Hardy Boys are. You don't have to know who the all it is. It's set up into four four parts. The first part is very basic. How to get your first Benjamin. Then the second is how do we get a stack of Benjamins? How do we do things like invest money? Then the third is protecting your Benjamins. And then the fourth is stacks on top of your stacks. And that's when we get really analytical. So at the end of the book, we're talking about modern portfolio theory, about hiring advisors that won't bleed you dry, about how to get rich quicker, maybe, which by the mm -hmm. way, can also make you rich slower. Uh, but at the beginning, we're talking about your credit report, getting your budget together, all the basic things that you need to do before you get there. And if you follow it just from beginning to end, I think you've got that Hardy Boys detective manual. Well, let's start with the beginning, which is the plan and, you know, establishing your plan. And you sort of have a, you have a new twist on this, which is that all the financial books tend to start with this concept of establishing your plans, get a piece of paper, write down your goals. And um, you want us to kind of do a, something a little bit different with that, not abandoning the idea of establishing goals, but you have a, uh, you want to add a layer to that, which involves a timeline. So tell us about this step. It's the first step in the book. Yeah, I think this is this is super important to make everything you do usable. And it is so much more fun to plan by yourself or with other people that you're planning with. Uh, and it's all, it's all based on brain science. Most people in the world are what we call visuals, right? We're visual. And, and by the way, you can tell by the way people talk. That looks good. To, even if they're listening to it, they go, oh, that looks good to me. That looks fantastic. The second biggest portion of people, which is a very, very small sliver compared to visuals, are audios. Sounds good. Sounds like a plan. Sounds, sounds like a winner. And then the third group, which is the smallest, which includes my son, is, is I've got to feel it, right? That feels good. That feels great. Audios and kinesthetics are so used to living in a visual world that they're used to visualizing things. And we as people uh, uh, are conditioned to believe what our eyes see. So instead of writing it out, here's my goal in one, here's my goal two, here's my, especially here at the start of the year, instead take a, take a piece of paper and draw a line. And on one end, have you and everybody you're planning with, if it's a spouse or a friend or, or, or kids or whatever, draw stick figures. And on mine, you notice, Farnoosh, that mine has a martini and a like a bag of money. And then on the other, as you go along, so put your, your age today, and then along that timeline, have the different goals that you have and when they're going to happen. And that leads to a couple things. First of all, you'll begin having these great conversations about how the goals interact with each other. And I'll give you an example. I haven't been a financial planner in 12 years, but when I was a financial planner, I, I had this uh, uh, these clients come in and they had twins and they wanted to retire at 55 and they they knew they wanted to help their kids with college and they also knew they wanted 55 those are both strong things that they wanted but they'd never done a timeline and didn't realize that their kids were going to be sophomores in high school at the same time they turned 55. And by the way, that doesn't make it unreachable or unattainable. It just means all of a sudden we're having this fantastic conversation about if we can't do both, which one's more important? Do we retire a couple of years later? Do we, do we maybe teach the kids to pay for part of their college or is college even important to us? You know, have we actually had a, what does it really mean conversation? And I find that once we start timelining our goals, we do that. The second thing that we do is we start 
we stop worrying about what the best investment is right now. Like what's the hot thing? What's the, we had somebody in our Facebook group just yesterday say, Hey, we just sold a house. I want to put this money in the market. What should I do with it? Let's stop playing that game, right? Instead, let's play this game. Stephen Covey from Seven Habits of Highly Effective People says to begin with the end in mind. So if we start off with a timeline of our goals, we can see which goal we haven't saved enough money toward. We know how long until that goal happens. And now instead of freaking out about there's so many different investments out there and I'm not sure which one to pick, it narrows the scope to which investments historically have done well over that timeline best return, least risk. And now I can research those and do some homework on those. And now I'm comparing just a few investments to this whole wide world of possibilities. And it makes planning so much easier and so much more fun. Well, speaking of comparing, you write about one of the other challenges. You notice this in your in your consultancy and you were a financial advisor. And even now, I think it's more prevalent where we're comparing ourselves to other people. And you see this across social media. I even had someone write in recently, a gentleman who is getting a master's in finance. He's married. He's got a kid. He listens to the podcast. So he, he's got a, a straight head on his shoulders. But he says to me flat out, I don't know where to start. You know, oh, there's yeah. so many competing pieces of advice. Uh, someone over here is telling me I need to prioritize my retirement over there. It's about getting out of debt over there. It's about crypto, right? So he, even he is feeling a bit lost and overwhelmed. And I, and I, and for him, it's not so much about comparing himself, but it's about seeing himself against all this other, all this other stuff that's going on, all these other ways that people are going about their finances. Um, any advice? Because I think this is only going to become more problematic until we start to really filter through responsibly what we're seeing online, which is really on us at this point. Like there's no there's no badge of authority on yeah. like YouTube and Instagram. You're just kind of getting the advice and you don't know who's giving it to you, but it sounds good and it looks good and it's got a great hip hop beat. So I'm going to stick around for it. <laughs> I would, I would actually love to hear because you get that question as much as I get it. And, and I'm wondering what your advice is. Frankly, I know this is supposed I mean, to be I about me, but I him, really. Yeah, we can talk about it. I said, and this was a recent Ask Farnoosh. And I said, look, you know, everything you're seeing out there, and I don't want to say any of that is false or bad advice, but you have to understand that everybody has an agenda and everybody's coming to this story called money with a personal story. You know, for some people, depending on what their journey at that point required, they focused on debt or they focus on investing. And that's their personal journey. There's nothing wrong with them sharing that, but that doesn't mean that you have to follow in their footsteps. It's just there for, for inspiration. Use it when you need it. For you, the important thing is to figure out, okay, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I have a career, I have goals. What kind of going back to your book, like where do I want to be? this time next year, this time in five years, and then reverse engineer it. And if you, but that said, so there's goals, right? But then I said, practically speaking, I do think that there is a hierarchy of things like, you know, I think that paying off your high interest credit card debt yeah. would be a little bit more of a priority than investing in cryptocurrency or even like maxing out your retirement. If you can do both, great, but you're coming at me because it seems like you have to just kind of go step by step. So if yeah. you're going to go step by step, you got to know your goals, but you also, it helps to know what is sort of a general hierarchy of financial moves. You got to have your savings and then you pay off a high interest credit card debt, or maybe you do those two things at the same time. And then you kind of elevate to the, the retirements and the investing and all of that. Yeah. 
what I love about that answer is that it's all about creating this solid foundation. And, and you, you know, uh, I'm reading so many things lately uh, that are comparing this housing surge to the fact that we all have Instagram accounts and we're showing our beautiful property and there's mm-hmm. FOMO and that's building up the real estate game where real estate's been, you know, just crazy because of that. Same with crypto. And not that there's not a space for crypto because the, but there is, but I also think there's a lot of FOMO going on because everybody's getting instantly wealthy on Instagram. And so we want to be like that too. So instead of, instead of that, I like the idea that it's about you, your foundation, your values. And I think that that's a, while it's a difficult conversation for people to have, my, my, my coach took me through a wonderful, a wonderful exercise about two years ago that really helped me with this and comparing myself to the right things. My coach asked me and a bunch of other people, it's part of a a gentleman named Dan Sullivan has a group called Strategic Coach, which I I love for entrepreneurs. And and my coach said, without thinking about it too, too hard, what what year do you think you're going to die? How old are you going to be when you die? Like, don't spend much time. And I said, 82. And then my coach asked, okay, at 81, a year before you die, assuming that you're just the average person who atrophies, right? You just run it, not dying of some, some horrible disease, but just, you just don't have anything going on in your life anymore. Um, at 81 years old, how do you want people to think about you? And I said, Oh, you know what? I helped this nonprofit in town with a, with a half marathon. I always love it when people in their eighties are running this half marathon. Like that's, that's amazing. I want to be active. Second is I have these two kids and I, and I want to be in their lives and I want to be a resource. I want, in fact, I want my community to think about me as somebody who's a resource that they can come to and is, is a respected figure in my community. And I also, you know, and this is probably even first, I want to be a great husband and I want to, I want to make sure that my spouse, Cheryl, and I have this wonderful relationship together. And then I'm able to do all these other things because partly because of that. And, uh, and then Jerry, my coach in this organization said, if, if you're all those things at 81, think about that, your quality of life. And now the atrophy's kind of gone away. How much longer would you live if you're that person at 81? And I said, oh my God, I think I'd live till 90. And then she said, that buys you eight years. Now, what are you going to do with those eight years? I said, oh, I'm going to travel more. I'm going to take care of myself better. I'm going to do, I'm going to spend more time on community service. I'm going to do all these things. And I wrote down all these goals. And then Jerry said, why aren't you doing those things now? If those are the things you're going to do with your extra eight years. And then I realized from that whole thing that I was kind of messing this up. I was so busy comparing myself to where I thought I needed to be or where other people were. I weren't, I wasn't comparing myself with my values. I wasn't thinking about me being the best version of me, which for me is to be a great dad right now, not a resource when I'm 80, but to be a resource for my kids now, to be a member of my community now. You know, you and I, we work a lot online and with this group of people, but to actually be in my neighborhood conversing with these weird people called neighbors that I never get to see because I'm always on a, on a microphone in this room at my mom's house. Uh, <laughs> that, that I think is, that I think was a powerful thing. So I think starting with your values and your goals and comparing yourself to, are you truly living up to the best version of you is a far better comparison than how am I doing against this other person that doesn't care about me and I really don't care about them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's powerful stuff. That's a great coach. 
that you've got it, there? It, it, it changed everything. Mm. Like it seriously changed. My days are structured differently now, Farnoosh, because of that exercise. Oh, wow. You need to write about that. I want to read that article. Right. <laughs> it's so, it's so inspirational. You're talking and I'm thinking about, you know, wow, I'd love to like do all these things right now too. But for me, sometimes it comes down to time. I think that's something for a lot of us um, is we're always feeling like we're running up against time. And so within your day, you know, you have so many responsibilities and bringing this back to money, this is a big reason why people don't budget. They don't plan. They, they yeah. feel like they don't have the time, let alone sometimes even the capacity to to do this well. They're, they're, they're nervous about their own skills. How can we make this easier for people? And maybe this is a conversation about technology or habits, but what do you find? Obviously automating helps, but beyond that, right? Like what are some other yeah. tricks to this? And even if there's some new apps that we should be thinking about. Oh, there are some fantastic apps that I absolutely love, but I don't think apps are the answer. We could talk about apps, but I think the true answer is I've never seen it. You know, I'm a money nerd as much as the next person. I haven't seen a spreadsheet I don't like. Love all the new apps because I love technology and toys. I think that's so fun. But I'll tell you the key for Cheryl and I getting our budget together was having a weekly money meeting. Like this was the whole key to everything. Uh, before we had our money meeting, my twins were young and we would both come home on the same day with stuff that was important to the family. Like she would come home with a bunch of kids' school clothes and I would come home with a hot new video game. Both incredibly important to the entire family. And then we'd fight about, you know, we didn't have money for both of them. And, and it was incredibly, of course, I'm joking, but, but we, we just never talked about priorities and what we actually wanted. And for us, having this meeting that was fun, we had to make it fun because Cheryl's not interested in a long, boring finance meeting. Had to be fun, had to be quick, and it had to be frequent. And the reason it has to be frequent is I found that when we have our money meetings every week, we have these organic conversations throughout the week about money, which are fantastic. But when we skip the meeting, we don't have that. And then that leads to, to, to clashes with money later on. So, so here's the way we like to do it. Number one, it's, for us, it has to be over pancakes or wine, depending on the time of day. So you decide, do you want it over pancakes or wine or something else? Just make it fun. You I have usually have wine in the morning. So are you <laughs> suggesting that? 6 a.m. I start early. <laughs> yes. yes. Does that have to be either or, Joe? Can it be both? <laughs> right. So uh, so that's rule one. Number two is we set a timer for 20 minutes. It's done. into Even if we don't think we're done, we're done in 20 minutes. Number three, this is where the apps come in. Like I use now Marcus Insights used to be Clarity Money. Uh, uh, to look through mm -hmm. things. I've actually gotten even more nerdy. I use one that I pay for. That one is free, by the way. I also use one that I pay for uh, called Tiller Money. Tiller Money is a fantastic way to track money. And we look through our expenses. Now realize, Farnoosh, this is not a budget. And we go over this big time in the book. Emily wrote this chapter and she said, you know, Thomas Jefferson, or she calls him Tommy J, our buddy Tommy J, Tommy tracked every expense that he had. He was phenomenal at tracking his expenses. He was also so broke 
all the time. He was so broke, but he knew exactly how he was broke and who he owed money to. So tracking your money is not a budget. A budget's going to be forward looking and is going to give you an idea of what to do with your money. So, but the tracking helps Cheryl and I during that first part of the meeting, we just scroll through and we look at how we spent money and we found better ways, things to do with our utilities, with our cell phones, with our subscriptions, just by looking at it and having a quick conversation. Then the second piece of that is setting up our budget for the next week and some apps that are cool there. A couple of them you pay for, but I really, really, really like, uh, especially if things are tight right now, if things aren't tight, I kind of like the anti-budget and I'll get to that in a second. But if things are tight, I like a budget where every dollar has a home. So two that I like, and you pay for, for either one of these, YNAB is fantastic. You need a budget. YNAB. And I also like, and I'll apologize, they're a sponsor of my show. And I'm, and, and by the, and I'm not saying it's because they're a sponsor. I asked them to be a sponsor because I love them. And they said, yes. So just to be clear here is a uh, cube money. And both of these really take the envelope system of the 1950s and modernize it. So with both of those, you give your dollar a home before you have it. And then you open up the virtual envelope to spend from that envelope. And when, when there's no money in that area, you don't spend money there anymore. And I've seen so many people successful with that. And I've been, I've been playing around with it the last six months myself. Uh, and it's been so damn fun. It has just been acute money. Cube. Q-U-B-E. Cube, cube money. Okay. Yep. And check this out. They have a cool debit card. Look at the, look at them. Oh, it starts oh. with a Q. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Q-U-B-E. Okay. Yep. Is the Z silent also? Like that's the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's an I in there somewhere. <laughs> um, so what are your new year's resolutions? Do you make financial goals every year? How do you, I mean, you always say, you know, and I think we agree on this, that, uh, your financial plan is always evolving as yeah. your values change sometimes and your the purpose that's driving you through life changes. So should your financial plan. So anything new on the horizon for you in the new year that might necessarily mean a shift in your finances? Not new, but continuing in a way that I think is different the last couple of years, because what I told you about my coach, which is, and a lot of people don't think about these as money goals, but I know Farnoosh, you and I do some of these things. You talk about time. I want to carve out more time in this area of my life. And you know, there's a financial there's a financial um, consequence of that. So how do I change my time game? So I'm spending time on the things that are most important for me. And so I'm beginning the year with my calendar of carving out those times first, because I always find that if I don't do that, business gets in the way and it swallows everything. And then I regret later on that I didn't do all the things that I wanted. So last year I did this for the first time, hugely successful, fantastic year. Uh, Cheryl and I were just looking back, you know how Apple on your phone sends you like 2021 in review, Spotify, Spotify, and all these. And we did so many neat things in 2021. And it was a, it was a, you know, it was still a bad year for a lot of the universe, but, but we had a year and it was mostly because we carved it out ahead of time that we're going to spend this time together. And a lot of it didn't involve a lot of money, but it did involve being intentional about what we wanted to do first and then figuring out the money second. Like I feel like a lot of people figure out how do I make more money first and then I'll let the chips fall. Start out with what you want to do yes. first and then solve for that. I feel that's also so true in your business. People are like, I want to I want to make a million dollars next year. I want to make six figures next year. It's like, okay, but let's maybe first start with something far more foundational, which is 
uh, finding something that can sustain you yes. for that time frame and then some. Because, you know, yeah, I, I'm all about like these milestones, these financial milestones, but they are not sustainable. And they're not, the journey may not even be that fun if you don't first start with the why behind that and, and figuring out a project that can actually, you can find meaning and purpose in. I think, you know, when a lot of people talk about follow your passion, I think there's a midway point there, which mm -hmm. is it's got to be commercially viable passion. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. I, well, it, so my great friend Terry wrote Unfollow Your Passion. Yes. It came out the same She's, day. By the way, she is she is coming on our show. Oh, because our writer for Stacking Benjamins saw or listened to her on your show. And then I missed that episode. So I went and listened to it and I'm like, how quickly can we get oh, her yeah. on our show? She's going to so she's gonna get her now before she's basically the next Brene Brown because, and she's been a friend of mine for 10 years and I'm so happy to see her star rise. Um, the book is fantastic. And I think we organically started talking about basically the big idea in her book because it's on everybody's mind and not enough of us are talking about it. This sort of yeah. like, you know, yes, passion is wonderful. But as far as making that the requirement for a fulfilling life following that, otherwise your life amounts to nothing, boy, does that cause some disappointment in some ways. <laughs> Because I my, like I like bar class. I like taking <laughs> bar class. I like traveling. How am I supposed to turn that into a career viable thing? Right. I'm not going to go take training to become, you know, <laughs> uh, an aerobics instructor. One of my wealthiest clients back when I was a financial planner owned a company that made stop signs. And he was one of the most self-actualized, happy people yes. I, I knew. But but you can't tell me he woke up every morning going, man, that is an octagon. <laughs> do, you, do, you see the, do you see how red that sign was today? Bam. I mean, we nailed yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's also the thought that, you know, you work to live, you know, like I, I have my job. It's perfectly fine. It brings in the money. It's consistent. And then I get like another you know, it's eight hours a day or whatever it is. And then I have 16 more hours in the day to do what I want with it. And and that's when I can express my passion. And sometimes that passion is sleeping. Right. I really like sleeping. I wish I could do that more. Increasingly. Make money while I sleep. And good sleep. I've become like a, like a uh, sleeping ninja, like reading everything I can about sleeping and good sleep and holy cow. Well, I encourage everybody to pick up Stacked. It's out now. A great way to jumpstart your new year. Your super serious guide to modern money management. Congrats to you and Emily Guy Birkin, your co-author who has been on this show. And we wish you both continued success and we'll have you back soon, Joe. Thanks so much, Farnoosh. Great talking to you again. Thanks so much to Joe for joining us. To learn more about his book, check out stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacked. It is out everywhere, so you can check it out wherever you like to get books. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. I hope your day is so money. Money.